such a nice guy. Yeah. Hell of a chap. He's so good he could have a spin-off show of his own. Welcome to Tales from the Departure Lounge. This is a podcast about travel, for business, for pleasure, or for study. My name's Nick, and I'm joined by my co-pilot, Andy. Together, we're going to be talking to some amazing guests about how travel has transformed their lives. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the journey. Welcome to the podcast. Today on the show, we talk to Marco Remes. He is the Dean of International Business Operation at Edith Cowan University in Perth. He's actually Finnish and has made Australia his home. And he is an amazing setter of scenes. He paints a really good picture of his travels. Yeah. And he told us about his home country of Finland and the summer solstice. He goes into the traditions of sauna and sauna etiquette. Including being whipped. He's been to a few Eurovisions. He's a great ambassador for Western Australia. He's also a great ambassador for skincare routines. He has got possibly the best story that we have ever heard on this podcast. Without a doubt, this is so good. I can't wait for people to listen to it. I'm not going to give any spoilers away. Just hold on to your hats. He's the Finnish multilinguist who calls Western Australia his home. He's a Eurovision fanatic who immerses himself in culture wherever he goes, sometimes a little too much. Let's get some Tales from the Departure Lounge from Marco Remes. The beauty of those nights is that they are the white nights, so it never gets dark. When I ask people that, would you want to come to my Eurovision party? And people are like, oh, no, no, I'm not really a fan. And I'm like, just wait until you've been to one. I won't deny that because in Estonia, I was somebody. And really, I felt like I moved to another country and I felt like an absolute nobody. We go to the bar and then behind the bar, there's like a kitchen. And we see the door open and I say to Tina, run, follow me, run, run, run. She will probably not love me sharing this, but sorry, Tina, I love you. Before we get into this episode, I want to introduce you to a new sponsor to the podcast and a company that I am very excited about, and that is Longcom for Education. We live in this digital economy and I meet leaders every day from agents, academic institutions and language schools who are struggling to manage all of their digital systems and data reports. They've invested in HubSpot or Salesforce, Microsoft Dynamics or Zendesk, but they're only using a fraction of their potential. Longcom are a team of logical, technically-minded people who bridge those gaps. They actually slot straight into your team, and they do everything from cleaning up the data to CRM integrations or managing accommodation or homestay bookings through channel management systems. But the real magic is when they help leaders produce better management reports and forecasting. This is the lifeblood of good strategy of investment plans and winning hearts and minds of new partners. We all collect data, but what are we really doing with it? And I'm telling you now that all you need is Longcom to get ahead. They're here to solve your problems, unlock the full potential in your data and grow through digital systems. So go to longcomconsulting.com forward slash education and select a time you want to chat. It's as easy as that. Now let's get on with the episode. Marco, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on board. How do you say your surname? Remes. 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 
Rod, I can't do it. Remez. Brilliant. Remez. Awesome. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> our first question to our guests is always, where would you take them if you could take them anywhere in the world? We are recording this episode today on what is Midsummer's Eve in the Northern Hemisphere, so the height of the summer solstice. So let's visualize being in Finland and visualize being in a cottage in a green forest of pine trees with nothing but nature around you. It's just turned 10 p.m., sun is still up, and it's midsummer, so it never really sets. The lake is still, it looks like a mirror, and you've got nothing but time. The whole night is yours. The highlight of Midsummer's Night is always, for me and for a lot of people in Finland, is to go to the sauna, and preferably kind of sauna that hits with the wood, not the typical electric sauna that you would see in gyms. So the sauna essentials for me is number one, beer, and number two, what is called Vasta in Finnish. Vasta, it's kind of like a whip, which is made of birch tree branches, and if you think it sounds kinky as an outsider, there's nothing <laughs> about it. It's very, very normal thing to have in sauna. You whip yourself, or you whip each other with that, and it's really good for your blood circulation, but also it creates like a natural room aroma. I guess you can figure that I am from Finland originally. This sounds amazing, Marco. How do you know how hard to whip your fellow sauna goers? It's kind of like a case by case thing. You look at their reaction. Um, you can't go too hard because even if, <laughs> I know this sounds a bit strange, but if, <laughs> outside of sauna, you might be able to take a bit more harder whipping but in the sauna you've got the heat <laughs> you'd start gentle and i guess you'd ask your sauna buddy they might say they want it harder they may want it harder but yeah i'd start i'd start gentle for sure <laughs> i don't know much about sauna culture is it traditional to then go out in the winter you might go out in the snow and roll around roll in the snow you do yeah. snow angels i don't know what's that really called in english you've got like the hole in the in the frozen lake I just roll in the snow. I just do it the lazy, safe way. Is this something you would do with your family or would it be like a communal thing with people around the lake? Who gets involved? It would be mainly family, maybe some like cousins or aunts and uncles. When you're older, it's like a group of friends. They're like individual saunas, like at people's summer houses, summer cottages. So saunas are everywhere in Finland. It's a country of five plus million people and it's got three million saunas. Tell us more about the whole Midsummer's evening. You've taken us to Finland. We're by the lake. We've had the sauna. What else is going on? Well, the beauty of those nights is that they are the white nights. So it never gets dark. And mm. it kind of, the night becomes a bit of a blur, not because of all the beer or the blueberry liquor or whatever you might be drinking, but you just really don't know what time it is because the sun is always there. It's it's quite incredible. It's always there in the horizon. It never, never sets. Um, so really, you know, you go to sauna, you spend hours there, you grill, you have your like barbecue kind of thing. You'd have your bonfire and, um, and you just drink, you'd sing, you'd dance. And suddenly it's like 5 a.m. It's amazing. So you're calling from Perth. What is it like to come from a cold climate to somewhere that's humid and hot. Perth is actually not that humid. This is like Mediterranean climate here. So the summers, yes, they are hot, but it's dry heat. What I love from Finland is the nature, the greenery and the space that you have and the fresh air. 
And you actually have that here in Perth. Like even if Perth is a city of 2 million people, nature is never too far away from you. I imagine there's fewer saunas though in Perth. Sauna is actually the only word that is a Finnish word that is used in English. Ah, really? Are there any words that are very descriptive? I often hear that other languages have descriptive words that really encompass quite a lot of words in English. Is there anything like that in Finnish? For example, the time in autumn when all the colors of the of the trees change, there's a specific word in Finnish just for that. Oh, that's called ruska. 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 Actually, you say it with the, like in Finnish, you do the really rolling R, ruska. Ruska. Can you do that, Nick? Ruska. <laughs> we need to go to Finland. I used to go to Estonia and Amazing. you would get all of the Finnish coming over on a, what we would call a booze cruise. They were coming for the cheaper alcohol, filling up and then getting on the ferry and taking it home. I know. Have you ever been on a booze cruise? I don't know if I've been on a booze cruise, but I actually used to live in Tallinn for seven years. So Tallinn is where I lived before I moved to Australia. And I definitely saw the booze cruises coming in. And I must tell you, my favorite time of the day in Tallinn was the evening when the day cruises had left. Yeah. I can imagine. What are the biggest differences for you, the biggest culture shocks for you coming from Finland to Perth? I guess one big culture shock kind of thing for me was the everyday small talk. Like in Finland, people are fairly shy or private and there's not that much small talk and I just remember going to a supermarket and the checkout person would be like what have you been up to today and I'm like oh god where do I start I'm like how much do I need to tell if someone in English says hey how are you that framing question being polite yeah. then yeah people think well hang on actually I've got a bit of a cold and you know I didn't sleep very well last night this kind of thing where obviously that's not really what they're asking there's that Oscar Wilde quote the most boring people in the world are the ones that tell you how they are when you ask them exactly Finland and and Finnish language you know you just go straight to the point you don't need the small talk I once had this experience where I was in a hostel in New York and there was an American guy talking to a Swedish girl and I could hear this Swedish girl having to explain where Sweden was. This American guy had absolutely no idea. So is that something coming from Finland that you have to explain it to people? It has happened. I mean, I have a story of, of an encounter with an American person. I got a summer job at Harrods, the department store in London. That was the first time I was ever overseas. And I had this name patch with, I think, Finnish, Swedish, German, flags, whatever languages I would speak. This American woman, she looks at my badge and she's like, Marco, Marco, where are you from? And I'm like, oh, I'm from Finland. And her eyes went like a poker machine. She's like, Finland, Finland, Finland. Do you come to work by bus? And I'm like, no, no, it's, it's not in London. It's another country. Here in Australia, Finland's got a really strong brand. People know Finland for the progressive government, for education system, Eurovision, you name it. People just know where Finland is. As the boarding call ding bong, join the podcast don't take long. Nick and Andy, your flight crew, so sit down, let's hear about you. Final boarding call ding bong, ding bong, ding bong. Okay, let's do it. Let's talk about Eurovision and your adventures. Let's do it. 
I'm probably not giving my age away here when I say this, but I remember I was home alone, my mom was working, and I was just watching TV and there was this competition happening and I just got absolutely glued to that. And then there was this one particular song that just kept playing in my head and that song was sung by Celine Dion, who's obviously from Canada, but at the time she was representing Switzerland in Eurovision and she won. And I just kept playing Eurovision and that's really when it started. And so I've watched Eurovision ever since 88. And now do you throw parties and that kind of thing? Massive, massive, massive parties. They've become quite epic. I actually hire a bar. We had like 70 people there. We have photo walls. We have a stage. People dress up. We've got like an interactive scoreboard. I literally spent days putting together. It's like a pre-show. It's not the actual Eurovision, but we kind of watch like the preview videos and then we vote. And yeah, they are incredible. People really get into it. And sometimes when I ask people that, would you want to come to my Eurovision party? And people are like, oh, no, no, I'm not really a fan. And I'm like, just wait until you've been to one. And I think I've converted many people there. So my recruitment works with Eurovision and hopefully also in international recruitment. And have you ever been to a live Eurovision? This is a travel travel podcast. Eurovision is a great way to travel. I've been to Baku, Malmö, Copenhagen, Tel Aviv, Lisbon. And I went this year, actually, I went to Liverpool. Liverpool obviously hosted Eurovision this year because previous year Ukraine won, but because of the war, they couldn't host and UK was the runner-up. And I had never been to Liverpool before and I didn't really know what to expect. And I tell you, the whole city was breathing Eurovision. I mean, Eurovision was absolutely everywhere from shops to cafes to nightclubs. How do you feel about political voting for the other Scandinavian countries? How does this work? <laughs> I, well, look, I think countries often vote for their neighboring countries, especially when there's a linguistic connection or a cultural connections. But I always say this, you can get some votes from your neighbors. There might be some diaspora voting, but you need a good song to win. So my favorite song, I mean, no question, this year it was Finland. It was epic. If you haven't thought, watched Eurovision songs from this year, it will blow your mind. Oh, it was cha-cha-cha. That's it. That's it. Oh, hang on, Marco, Marco, Marco. You just said that you need a good song to win Eurovision. <laughs> Actually, what you need is a human caterpillar. <laughs> That's it. That's it. I think Finland was absolutely right. One day I'll recover. That staging was immense. The uh, dance routine for Cha Cha Cha. The people of Great Britain, I think we gave you 12 points. Me and my family voted Cha 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 Finland. And Finland will forever love you for that. Thank you. I actually had that. Do you remember he wore like this green bolero kind of thing? Mm -hmm. I had that done by a seamstress here in Perth. So I wore that in my Eurovision pre-party and I took that with me to Liverpool. And uh, I even had a fake tattoo done like the Finnish guy. And seriously, the amount of support I got, especially after the event being over and Finland being rocked and people agreeing with me, it was great fun. Lots of media attention, a little bit too much. I, I kind of shied away from the media, but yeah, 
See, you're sorry. Did you get stopped by any TV cameras? The closer we got to the Liverpool arena, it was pretty nonstop. And, and we had to be like, sorry, we've got a show to go to. No more interviews. <laughs> Did you have five dancers on dog leashes? I had three girlfriends. Not really. You did, didn't you? But three, three, three girlfriends were, were there with me. Attached by, <laughs> attached by leashes. Okay, <laughs> we'll leave it there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wish I'd, I'd gone to Liverpool now. I tell you what, if you watch Eurovision and if you enjoy the show on TV, go one year, go and live it in the city that is hosting it. Even if you don't get tickets to the show, Eurovision is everywhere. It's it's a bit like, imagine going to a city that hosts like World Cup. It's like a carnival atmosphere. The difference yeah. is that with Eurovision, there's less hooligans. Right, Marco, it's Sweden next year. Then we'll get over to Finland, get in the sauna. Then we'll go to Tallinn to get some booze. It's going to be epic. That sounds like a golden triangle. Have you got any laptops, liquids, shop objects? Take them out your bag, put them in the trees, put them in the trees, please. Have you got any laptops, liquids, shop objects? Take them out your bag, put them in the trees, put them in the trees, please. Please? Please put them in the trees. Just take them out your bag. Don't worry about your belt. Don't worry about the coins either. Okay, okay, put the coins in, but don't worry about the chewing gum. Yeah, no, your shades are fine as well. And take off your coat, please, mate. The next section of the show is called Any Laptops, Liquids and Sharp Objects. Do you have any travel hacks or is there anything you have to take with you when you travel? I've been to probably like nearly 90 countries now, some for leisure, a lot for work. I'm really about three things right now, and they are comfort, convenience and wellness. When I fly, I think there are two things that are really important to me, and one of them is layers. I'm sure you agree, Andy and Nick, that you go to a plane and uh, you just never know how cold or hot it is. I always go with this, uh, like a fleece hoodie, just in case. I always have a scarf, just in case. And sometimes in planes, especially like flying from places like Australia, I see people wearing shorts and I'm like shocked. I can't believe that. I'm just thinking, aren't you going to freeze? But Marco, they're probably looking at you and wondering why you're wearing a green bolero top. So. <laughs> That's only for special yeah. events, that one. The second thing for me when I fly, and maybe this comes with age, but when I was younger, I really didn't think about it. It's not really good news on your skin. So what I now travel with, it is, there's probably a better word for this, but like keep on face masks, like cream lotion that you put as a mask, and then you just let it stay. And uh, can I mention a brand? Is that allowed on this show? Yeah, Sure, we might get sponsorship. All right, yeah, good idea. So, yeah, what I'm using now is uh, it's like a chamomile mask by Australian brand called Aesop, and it really makes a world of difference. And I know that a lot of men, they shy away from skincare products. And so my message to all the listeners of this podcast who – identifies male is three words hydrate 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 your skin will be forever thankful mm. our listeners can't see marco but he does have very good skin mm. i do well yeah. you, you know my age from the eurovision fact but I, yeah <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. I think, but that's also because I didn't see sun for the first 20 years of my life. I think a lot of men probably do shy away from a, a skincare routine until they start getting on a bit and then wondering how they can combat. And then it's too late. Mm. The wrinkled, the wrinkled sheet face they wake up and look at every morning. Yep. And once mm. you realize that, you've lost the game. It's too late. Do you know what a spike mat is? I've got one. I have got one. You've got one. Do, do you use it at home? Do you know what? I haven't used it for a long time. I did use it for a while and it was brilliant. Yeah. Go on, describe it. Well, you probably can describe it even better, but think like a yoga mat. Really, It looks like a yoga mat, but then it's got these tiny, tiny little spikes. And they're not the kind of spikes that would make you bleed or anything, but then you lay on it on your back and it just makes your blood circulate. It really relaxes you. And I actually use it every night at home and I actually fall asleep on that. And whenever I can, I travel with a spike mat. A lot of people recommend it for back pain, don't they? When you first get on it, it is really quite uncomfortable. But then after about five minutes, you get this warm sensation (laughs) that just comes over your whole body. Kind of a euphoria thing, isn't it? Where it goes from being painful to being really quite comfortable. Yeah, totally. And it almost becomes addictive. You almost feel like you need it. I feel like... I don't necessarily need like melatonin and sleeping tablets like stuff if I have a spike mat. That's fascinating. Have you ever though, Marco, I've done this where you get out of bed and you tread on it barefoot and that really hurts. <laughs> Maybe a couple of times, yes. I think now is a good time to ask you if you've got any good travel stories you want to share, Marco. I mean, most of them are too inappropriate for this podcast probably. Will you go to prison if you tell them? Probably not prison, no. no. <laughs> I, might be, I might feel a bit humiliated. But there are a couple of pretty good ones. I've got one story from Tunisia that was quite quite an experience, so I can't even remember the year. That was purely a leisure trip. And I was interrailing with my friend from Finland, Tina, and we were interrailing in Italy. And we ended up eventually in Sicily. And that's right at the bottom of Italy. And we're like, where do we go from here? And we're like, let's just fly to Tunisia. It's no longer part of the interrail network, but who cares? We'll fly into Tunisia, first time in North Africa, something different. Obviously, on the way, we bought some duty-free vodka, drank probably most of that, to be honest, on the first night on our little hotel balcony. And I remember us going to this nightclub and sort of dancing I frankly, I can't really remember how the night ended, but um, then we woke up and we kind of had kind of like these prints or tattoos or something like printed on our forehead, you know, like the movie Hangover. And uh, then we noticed that those things were actually from the henna tattoos that were on our hands and fingers going all the way, especially to Tina. They went all the way up her arm. And then we realized that we are not in our hotel room. Where are we? And then these kids, they walk into the room. They bring us bread and milk. And we're like, who are these little kids? And where are we? <laughs> then comes this older man who turns out to be their dad. And so there were these two teenage boys, one younger boy about age of four. And then they also had, we didn't meet her at the time, but also like this 20-year-old uh, older daughter. And this man introduces the family and he speaks to us kind of like a weird combination of half English, half German. And then he's like, 
Yesterday Abend, you were with me and meine Kinder in a nightclub and you came here for the after party. We're like, well, did we? <laughs> Great. Um, anyway, then you invited us for dinner the same night because we woke up the following morning. And we were like, yeah, fine, we just need to go back to the hotel to recover. But we were really humbled. We were like, great, we get invited to New Zealand home for dinner. And then we recover the entire day. Then we go back to their place. And the setup was incredible. They had flowers, they had candles, they had room scents, you know, the whole lot. And then the dad, the, 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 the man in the family, he asks me to go with his teenage sons to this local market to buy illegal alcohol. And seriously, that market was like a zoo. I saw so many Tunisian animals there. There were camels, there were chickens, there were goats, you name it. It was pretty, pretty wild. But we found illegal alcohol, some vodka or whatever we bought. Then we go back to the apartment and Tina is there with the man and suddenly he's caressing Tina's hair. And I'm like, oh, what's happening here? And then the man, man asks me, so Marco, will you come and visit Tina here in Tunisia? And I'm like, what on earth are you talking about? And then he explained that they had gotten married the night before. So that's where the tattoo, <laughs> had the tattoo thing, which was kind of like the wedding ring, but kind of like tattooed. And Tina and I, we looked at each other, we're like, how can we get out of this? But obviously, we were in someone's apartment. We couldn't leave. We couldn't run away. It was like middle of nowhere in, in a small Tunisian resort town. So we just had to play with it. So we had the dinner. Then we had to go with them to the after party. And then after party had the extended family there, and there were more flowers and celebration of the new bride. And it was crazy. Then at one point, my friend Tina, she has to go to the bathroom. And then... The 20-year-old or 20 years old daughter says that she has to go too, and she leaves me her baby. So I'm there with a baby who starts to cry, and they take forever. I'm like, what happened to Tina? Where's that Where's that daughter? Where's that uh, mother of this baby? Nowhere to be seen. They finally come back. Tina comes all red with her eyes wide open, and Tina is like, things are getting crazier. Things got a little bit intimate with this woman in the toilet. She's really into me. What can we do? So another drama. And now the, both the man and the daughter, they were both after Tina. And I said to Tina, this is have to do something. So I say to Tina, that, or actually I say to her new, new husband, I say that, excuse me, I need to go and buy drinks to the whole wedding party, but let me take Tina with me as well. And he agrees. We go to the bar, and then behind the bar, there's like a kitchen. And we see the door open, and I say to Tina, run, follow me, run, run, run. And we just ran through the kitchen, ran to a random street until we found a taxi, got a taxi to our hotel, packed, and we left the entire city. Oh, my God. So I was basically helping wow, to wow, wow. run away. Right in Tunisia. Tina oh. is still married to somebody in Tunisia. Yeah, I don't think she officially ever divorced. True. Waking up, having to piece it back together, finding out you got married. <laughs> and had we found that out in the morning, what had happened the night before, we would have never done the dinner on the subsequent night. We had no idea. 
It was, yeah, it was a nightmare. One of the best stories I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. It's one to remember. What I love is when we asked you, have you got any travel stories? <laughs> and then you've come out with that one and that's the one that you can tell <laughs> i can tell that one because i wasn't the one getting married it's easy to tell a story when you're not the bride or the groom i was just assisting tina to escape that's it she will probably not love me sharing this story but sorry tina i love you any other stories you want to share this one story from a work trip one of my first trips was to siberia to do student recruitment into Australia, would you believe? And I remember flying into, I think the city was Omsk in Siberia, the usual recruitment events and stuff. And we actually had a train organized by the education agent who was hosting the fest. And the train was from Omsk to a city called Novosibirsk, which means New Siberia. Most of the travelers, they were local Russian passengers. And I remember them starting to come to me and talking in Russian. And, you know, I didn't really speak Russian, just a few random things. But what I did remember was this thing that I learned when I was a kid in Finland, which in Finland they have these TV shows where they teach kids to learn languages. And you just sometimes watch some random languages being taught. And I remember this Russian language TV show where this Finnish actor was traveling around Russia and he'd always introduce himself in Russian. And uh, I thought, I'll just say the same thing, whatever he used to say. So I basically said to them, My name is Marco. I'm a famous Finnish actor. And the was just like, And then I tried to say to them in English, No, 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 I'm actually just joking. It's a joke. But they didn't understand me. No. And suddenly there were all this train lot of passengers were coming to come into my carriage to see the Finsky actor. And they wanted to take photos and autographs and the amount of vodka that I was given. That was probably my like 15 minutes of fame. You're just impersonating people wherever you go. Finnish pop stars, Finnish actors. That's it. If it all goes wrong, you can just go back to Siberia and pick up your celebrity lifestyle as the Finnish actor. That's it, or I can find my career in Eurovision. What's the purpose of your visit? That's what I'm asking you. Business pleasure or study? Ah, okay, go through. Immigration selector. The next section of the show is called What's the Purpose of Your Visit? So, Marco, why do you do what you do? I told you before that I used to live in Tallinn in Estonia. And in Tallinn, I actually used to work in travel media. And I kind of did pretty well. You know, I was there for seven years and I thought I was doing quite well in my job. And then I just thought that when I moved to Australia, I'll continue with that success. So I'll work in media. And then I started to go to job interviews and I'd got a rejection and another rejection and a third rejection. And the reason was always the same, that you seem like a nice guy, but you don't have a portfolio. And they were basically expecting you to have a portfolio of Australian clients. So it was tough. I I won't deny that because in Estonia, I was somebody. And really, I felt like I moved to another country and I felt like an absolute nobody. 
And that's quite a big hit. It hits you really, really hard. I applied for a job at, at the time at Navitas English to be like a re- recruitment manager or regional manager for a market and hit the jackpot there and haven't looked back since. So I guess I appreciate more being in this industry and this sector because I had that difficulty and I had to overcome those hurdles to actually get into these uh, fields. And I think to answer your question, why do I do this? Why, why have I stayed in, in this field? It's you know, the impact we make in people's lives is pretty re- remarkable. And you can be at the start of their journey and then you are often still connected whilst their journey continues after graduation. And I think extremely rewarding. I've been really blessed because work's taken me to places like Bhutan and Kazakhstan and Kenya and Reunion Island or indeed crazy places like Siberia. But hopefully I don't need to yeah. go to Tunisia for work. I'm traumatized by that. <laughs> yeah. Never uh, go back. I wouldn't Never if I were you. Never yeah, I wouldn't. The way you articulated that idea that in one country you were somebody and then in a new country you were nobody, having to reinvent yourself, that is so relevant for so many students. But I guess that, that builds character, doesn't it? That's where strength comes from and that's part of people's journeys. Definitely. And I tell you what, once you are at that critical junction after all those rejections, it's really, really hard to put yourself back together and find that new path. It doesn't come easy. It takes a lot of strength, takes a lot of courage, but you just need to believe in yourself. You just need to believe that there's nothing to lose. If I try something and if I don't get it, surely another door can open somewhere else. And I'm so glad that door that happened to open for me at the time was international education. I need to find out about you. You make me curious, you do. So please tell me right now, what is important to you? Anything to declare? Anything to declare? So please tell me right now. What is important to you? The last section of the podcast is called Anything to Declare. And this is a free space, Marco, for you to talk about whatever you'd like to. Remember that setting when we were in Finland, Midsummer's Eve, going to sauna, whipping ourselves. But I haven't really spoken so much about Australia, which I really proudly call home now. I know that a lot of listeners of this podcast are actually from outside of Australia. Many, many are in Europe. So my sales pitch is that if you ever get the chance, come to Western Australia, which is my home. Western Australia as a state is just out of this world. It really is the most stunning corner of the continent. It's huge. It's 10 times the size of the UK, would you believe? And if this was independent country, if Western Australia turned into, I don't know, Australia, Australia would be the ninth largest country in the world. The natural beaches are just absolutely spectacular. You've got the Margaret River wine region. You can go diving or snorkeling in Ningaloo River, which personally, I think it's nicer than Great Barrier Reef. I went to the Kimberleys, which is really the top end of Western Australia. And there's this place called Cape Levesque. And just imagine, you've got the most incredible beach on the world. And on the beach, imagine that this red rock formation, kind of like a mini Uluru, has landed. 
right there on that stunning beach. What a picture. You really are a famous Finnish actor, aren't you? You're telling these stories with such poetry. But the difference is that I'm not acting. This is all true. I love it. Marco, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been great to have you. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. And happy travels. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for listening, as always. You can get in touch with us at sickbag at talesfromthedepartureloungecom Also, remember to check out our sponsor, Longcom Consulting. They are already working with loads of agents and companies in the education sector. If you have a CRM system that you need configuring or you want it integrating with something, if you want to build an online store, or you just want better predictive forecasting dashboards and analytics, then check out Longcom Consulting. See you all soon. Tales from the Departure Lounge is a Type 9 production for the Pi.